led away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. They had a plan. Jesus was getting in the way. He was undermining their position. He was making people question their motives. So they made a plan. They wanted to get rid of Jesus, so they waited and watched for the right time, the right moment to make their move. And then it came. That first Thursday, they arrested him. They bound him together and their plan was coming about. They wanted to take him away uh, uh, to get rid of Jesus. They were going to take him to Pilate. They were going to tell Pilate that, that Jesus is the real danger to your kingdom. He's someone who could cause you problems. And they knew that, that Pilate had no problem doing what needed to be done. The plan would be complete. And it worked. I, they made up charges and Jesus didn't even defend himself. And when it came to release a prisoner, they got Barabbas released, not Jesus. Plan complete. Jesus was being put to death. Crucified. Pilate had a plan. He knew the teachers of the law were making up trump charges. He knew that they wanted him to do something that they wouldn't. He knew he was being played. But if he knew that, surely Jesus did as well. So why didn't he make a sound? Why didn't he protest? Why didn't he say, look, I'm innocent. They've got no basis for these claims. Why is he choosing death and not life? Jesus didn't say a word. Pilate had a plan. Barabbas was a criminal. 
Uh, Barabbas was someone who, who clearly deserved to face justice. I can give them a choice. You can free Barabbas, the criminal, the one who's clearly guilty. Or Jesus, the, the one who's healed the sick, has been compassionate to the end. The plan must work because the choice is easy. Pilate had a plan. But his plan didn't work. His plan did not come about. His plan was thwarted by the silence of Jesus and the deceptions of the teachers of the law. Pilate had a plan. Jesus had a plan. Jesus had a plan from before the dawn of time that his very purpose on earth was to be killed a sinner's death. Jesus had a plan that he would come to to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life the innocent for the guilty. And before our eyes, it is being portrayed. Barabbas, uh, whose name means son of the father. A a man who is guilty and deserves death. Is walking free. The son of the father walking free as the true son of the father. Jesus, the one who never did anything wrong. Jesus, the only one who could be called innocent. Jesus chooses death in exchange for life. Jesus had a plan and before our eyes, it was coming about. Pilate's plan failed from the off. The teach the law think their plan is working, but actually, it's part of God's plan. Because God's plan is the only plan. And here it is, uh, the plan to bring life to a world that's on a collision course for death. Today is Good Friday. Today we remember that just like Pilate, Just like the teachers of the law, any plan that seeks to bring life apart from Jesus will not work. It will fail. Any attempt by person or power, by morality or might, by effort or energy, to earn the favour of the eternal God to gain life will fail. Today, on this Good Friday, let us remember that the teach the law, like the teach the law, there is no plan that can derail Jesus. There is no one authority or person that can stop God accomplishing his purposes. What God intends to do, he will complete. Life is not a random collection of moments. 
Rather, it is a known story in the hands of a master storyteller whose loving arms we are not, we could not be more secure in. Or to put it as John Newton said, the storms of life are guided by the one whose hands were nailed to the cross. Today, on this Good Friday, let us remember that Jesus came for a purpose, to do what we could not, to achieve life. That was God's plan. And that is the only plan that will ever, ever work. Some words from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, chapter 53. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before it shears his silence, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave for the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And that the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he had suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I'll give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils of the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressions. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Our reading continues in Mark 15, starting back up again at verse 16. Again, that's page 1022 in the Church Bibles. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And he began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off a purple robe and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. 
They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Imagine you were there. Imagine you were there with the soldiers. We don't know how many there could have been. There could have been hundreds. Imagine you were there. Imagine you were there as the rich purple robe was placed upon Jesus. As they shout, Hail, King of the Jews! As you hear the the laughs, the taunts, those uh, big, impressive soldiers bowing down to a bloodied, battered Jesus. Imagine you were there. What would you think? Imagine you were there as uh, you see this man struggling up the hill. Breathing heavy breaths, grasping for air. The sound of the wood dragging upon the ground. It being dropped and picked up and dropped and picked up. Imagine you were there as a man is picked at random from the crowds. A man who could have been you to help carry the plank of wood that'll be used as an execution tool. Imagine you are there as you hear the, the chink of the hammer against the iron and the thud of it moving into the woods. Imagine you're there as you hear the groans as Jesus is lifted up. Imagine you were there as the the mocking and the laugh saying, look at that sign, King of the Jews. Imagine you were there as at the corner of your eye you see this group of people with a knowing look and a grin on their face. Plan complete. Or so they think. Confident in their success. Confident in their strength and strategy. And so they joke saying, look, he saved others. He can't save himself, can he? Imagine you were there. 
as those words of laughter act as a commentary upon the scene which is unfolding. For Jesus could have come down. Jesus is the one who has always been in charge. The, the whole of history is in his hands. Jesus, the, 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 the one who, with a word, controls the seas. Of course Jesus could come down. Of course Jesus could really save himself. But if he wants to save others, if he wants to carry out his plan, if he wants to fulfill his mission, if he wants to bring sinners home, if Jesus wants to do that, he can't. He can't save himself. For by saving himself, he would condemn those for whom he came to save. Because it was not nails that kept Jesus to that cross. It was his obedience to the Father's will and his love for each of us. It was not nails that kept him to the cross. And if this day you want proof that Jesus loves you. Then look as he chose to stay on that cross. The place that he did not deserve. If you want proof that, that our God is someone who doesn't rule by oppression and uh, sort of might. then look as he chooses to stay upon that cross. Imagine you were there that day seeing all that Jesus had gone through. Seeing that the pain of a broken body. And imagine you were there that day and you knew he was there for you. That he would say, My child, you mean more to me than anything else, so I will stay upon this cross. And so today, he says, my child, there is not one circumstance in life when I will not be near. There is not one thing that you can go through that I will not be present in because I chose the cross for you. He saved others, but he can't save himself. No, that's not right. He chooses to save others, so he can't save himself. This is our God. There's a a poem entitled Sacrifice by Paul Tripp. Everyone makes sacrifices for physical beauty, for body health, for athletic victory, for career advancement, for relational unity, for sound investment, for a physical dwelling, for the hope of fame, for parental love, for spiritual growth, for environmental health, 
for political power, for a noble cause, uh, for a dark addiction, for the cause of peace, for liberation from bondage, for making a point, for exposing an evil, for meeting a need, for offering mercy, for settling a score, for extending a hand. That every day sacrifices are made. Everyone does it. No one can avoid it. Life requires it. Good calls you to it. Evil demands it. Sometimes we're willing. Sometimes we're resistant. Sometimes we regret it. Sometimes we sacrifice with great joy. Sometimes with deep sorrow. Sometimes in the bright light. Sometimes in the darkness of night. Sometimes in private. Sometimes in public. The young and the old, men and women, girls and boys of every language, every ethnicity, from every place on the globe, from every period of history. But in all those places, with all those people, in all those epochs of time, with innumerable sacrifices, there is only one man who has had sacrificed as his solitary purpose. There was only one man whose sacrifice would meet everyone's need. There was only one man who paid for what he did not do so others would get what they did not earn. There was only one man who was qualified. There was only one man who was the God-man, son of God, son of man. There was only one man who would live a righteous life. There was only one man who would die an acceptable death. There was only one man who would satisfy God's requirement. There was only one man who would not only make that sacrifice, but who would be that sacrifice. There was only one man who would be the Lamb of God. There was only one man whose sacrifice would change everything. Sin defeated, life given, hope restored, destiny secure, God and man reconciled once for all. It is finished. Billions of sacrifices made. Only one sacrifice for life now and for all eternity. We're picking things up at verse 33 of Mark chapter 15. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lemak Sabachthani! which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. 
Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. It's not just children who are afraid of the dark. When things are dark, there's a sense of uncertainty, unfamiliarity. When things are dark, the world doesn't seem like it's supposed to be. When things are dark, we can feel strangely alone. When Jesus died, darkness fell. There was no street lights to light the way, no phones to flick out to, to see. Darkness. Nothing to bring light. When Jesus died, it went dark when it should have been light. When Jesus died, there would have been soldiers scrambling around to get flaming torches to provide some means to see. When Jesus died, it went dark. It was as if the world at that moment was a, in a state of uncertainty and unfamiliarity. It was as if the world at that moment was not as it was meant to be. It was as if God was not there. When Jesus died, it went dark. And the cry broke the air. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus died, it went dark. But when Jesus died, the, the, the maker of all the earth had not left the earth. But rather, he had isolated, cut off his son. He did not extend the hand of love. Rather, he extended the sword of judgment upon his own son. When Jesus died, it went dark as God's anger was poured out upon his own son. And so when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why are you forsaken me? As he quotes Psalm 22, he, he's not asking a question, God, why are you not with me? For Jesus full knew what was happening. He knew the plan all along. When Jesus died, he was following his plan. He knew that he had to stay upon the cross to be a forsaken and abandoned so that those who are forsaken and abandoned the living God might be brought back home. When Jesus died, it was not a random act. It was Jesus taking our place. It was a substitution. It, it was him taking our death. Or, or more pointedly, it was him. The very reason, well, we are the very reason he had to die. Jesus knew what was going on that dark day. For Jesus had a plan to save the world and he did it. Willingly. And every moment of his life was, was focused upon this. Every word. 
every action was pointing to the time he would give his life as a ransom for many. And throughout his whole being, and even now, he is in complete control, even to the moment when he takes his last breath. Jesus had a plan. He came to save. And what looked like a dark day, what looked like a day of uncertainty and unfamiliarity, a day of separation, was indeed the brightest of all days. The day when promises were kept. The day that would establish reunions. That's why it's dark. That's why he's cried out. That's why the temple curtain tore in two. The barrier that kept God and man apart was removed. The way was open. The barrier of sin and death was destroyed. God's people could be with their Lord again. If you were there on that day, what would you say? If you were there on that day, what would you do? Good Friday cannot be considered as a mere intellectual exercise. It cannot be conceived of in simply dry mathematical equations. Good Friday demands a response. At the centurion who was there, who saw what was going on, said, Surely this man is a son of God. Joseph of Arimathea, a man waiting for the kingdom of God, knew what he had to do. He went boldly to Pilate. Good Friday demands a response. We cannot see Good Friday and be unmoved. We cannot see Good Friday and sit on the fence. Good Friday demands a response. I can't tell you what that will be for you. What will it mean for you to respond to Good Friday? But as we have a moment of silence, maybe it might be to utter a prayer. It might be the first time. Good Friday demands a response. What will we do? A poem entitled Good Friday by Christina Rossetti. Am I a stone and not a sheep? That I can stand, O Christ, beneath thy cross to number drop by drop thy blood's slow loss and yet not weep? Not so those women loved who with exceedingly grief lamented thee. Not so fallen Peter weeping bitterly. Not so the thief was moved. Not so the sun and moon, which hid their faces in a starry sky, a horror of great darkness at broad noon. But I, only I, 
yet not give up. But seek thy sheep, true shepherd of the flock. Greater than Moses, turn and look once more and break me a rock.